Brown Girl Radiance celebrates the brilliance of women of color through reflective conversations and stories. I'm your host, Pure Brown Joy. Hello to all of my radiant friends. Welcome back to season three of Brown Girl Radiance podcast, where we are celebrating brown girls abroad. I love traveling virtually around the globe and hearing from these incredible women. And I can't wait to introduce you to my next guest. Before we jump into the interview, this year I've been sharing things that have inspired me each month. And I really reflected and prayed about what to share. And so I will start with the ultimate inspiration for my life, who is Jesus Christ. Amidst all of the chaos, noise, the political and social climate, we can always lean in to him through prayer, praise, worship, and studying the word. Jesus' name is above the name of the president, vice president, governor, Supreme Court justice, mayor, or any other name. I enjoy using the Bible app. They have so many wonderful devotionals, and they also have the Bible available in many different translations. They also have Bible app stories, which are like Instagram stories, except it's based on the verse of the day. I also love another app called Our Daily Bread, which gives a beautiful devotional thought each day. In December 2019, I did a devotional episode called The Treasure in the Trust Fund. This episode is only about 10 minutes long, and hopefully it will be an encouragement to someone. I wanted to get back to the basics today and pray the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught in Matthew 6, verses 10 through 13. I like the NLT and the modern English versions, so I've combined them because they both have, of course, the same intent. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Speaking of prayer, I am loving the prayer edition of Black History Boot Camp with Girl Trek. Their mission is to encourage black women to walk for 30 minutes a day for five days a week as a form of self-care and for their mental, physical, and spiritual health. It is a walking podcast, and in the prayer edition, they share information about spiritual warriors from black history for 21 days. It's been really powerful, and you can sign up for free at blackhistorybootcamp.com. One of the episodes, they celebrated Maya Angelou, and Oprah actually shared on that episode a poem that Maya Angelou wrote as a gift to her. 
And speaking of Maya Angelou's poems, I actually did a bonus episode back in April of one of her beautiful pieces called On the Pulse of Morning. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it's only 15 minutes long. Check it out and let me know what you think. Something that has brought some levity to this current season for me is watching Maya Rudolph, who is one of my favorite sketch comedians behind Kim Wayans, playing Senator Kamala Harris, the vice presidential nominee on SNL. You can pull up any of the clips on YouTube if you need a good laugh. Also, during the vice presidential debate, Senator Kamala Harris gave the rallying cry for every black woman when her opponent continued to interrupt her with two simple words. I'm speaking. Lastly, as a basketball enthusiast, I was inspired by seeing the LA Lakers led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis take home the championship. This Lakers team was really special to me because there were so many NBA veterans like Dwight Howard, Danny Green, and Rajon Rondo. I respect LeBron and all that he's achieved in his 17 years in the NBA. He shattered so many records. And for him to still be playing at the level that he does, considering his age, is incredible. I am actually more inspired by how he uses his platform off the court for justice and equality, like establishing the organization more than a boat. My cousins and I had a Zoom call recently and I was wearing my LeBron shirt, which led to the ultimate conversation about whether or not he is the GOAT. And I don't have time to get into that today, but I will share a couple quick thoughts. One, I don't think it's fair to compare him because each generation of basketball players are playing at a different level and a different climate. And so I think that Michael Jordan is the GOAT of his generation and LeBron James is the GOAT of his generation And I actually did a bonus episode this summer with a panel of women dissecting the Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan and the 1998 Championship Bulls team. And the name of that episode is called The Kings and Queens of Quarantine Part 2. And so I definitely celebrate Michael Jordan's impact on the game, which still reverberates to this day. During LeBron James' acceptance speech, he was very diplomatic and he said, I want my respect too. I thought about it from this perspective. If you've been in your career for 17 years and you are still at the height of your career, but no matter what you accomplish, people continue debating your level of greatness and what you still need to achieve, I think most people would also get to the point that he did in that moment, which was to demand the respect that he deserves because his resume speaks for itself and he's not finished yet. Speaking of greatness, I am so excited to dive into my interview with another brilliant brown girl abroad, Tiffany Green, who 
has been working in multiple countries for the last few years as a counselor and an educator for Think Global School. When I knew that I was going to be celebrating Brown Girls Abroad this season, this person is one of the first women that I thought of that I knew I wanted to join in this conversation because she is an actual globetrotter. And I'm not talking about the basketball players. I'm talking about a brilliant Black woman who has been literally everywhere who found a way to marry her passion for education and traveling abroad and get someone to pay her to do both. She's been featured in Travel Noir, and uh, we actually met over 10 years ago in D.C., and we've stayed connected. And so I am elated to welcome to Brown Girl Radiance podcast, counselor, educator, and author, Tiffany Green. Hello. How are you? Awesome. Very, very excited to chat with you today. And thank you so much for taking time out of your, your globe trotting to chat with me for a few minutes. You can blame COVID for taking me out of globe trotting. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do understand what you mean. Um, I'm happy to be here. Um, I was thinking about when you said we met over 10 years ago, we met when President Obama was inaugurated. And who knew that literally 12 years later or 11 years later, we would be on this call. Super cool. Right. Yeah, I know. We we definitely met in uh, the golden age of of our nation, I would say. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so much has changed since then. But uh if you don't mind just uh, sharing a little bit about yourself and your background and what has led you to your current role and all of your travels abroad. Cool. So let's see my, my intro pitch is kind of all over the place. So I am Tiffany, um, as you mentioned, and I'm from Connecticut. So good old new England, um, cold weather. Um, yes, there are black people in Connecticut, um, and so I existed, I grew up there, had a really interesting childhood that kind of shapes my desire to explore different cultures. But at an essence, um, Yale University is in New Haven. So you have all of this diversity from around the world. And with that diversity for me as a kid was curiosity. Like where are these from? What is their life like? How are they living? Um, and so that was like the main component of where I saw the world right in front of me. My dad works in the mailroom at Yale. And so going to the cafeteria, whenever I would go to bring your daughter to work day, I would just see like all of these amazing people that were super diverse. So Yale, had, I mean, New Haven, where I'm from, has these two sides. So Yale side, and then it has the other side. And the other side is where you have most of your black and brown, low-income families. Um, many dreamers live in New Haven as well. Another fun fact about New Haven, in case people are like, New Haven, what is it for? I'll yell, the Amistad. So you heard about the Amistad ship, New Haven, it's where it went. So um, there is some legacy there. So anyway, so I grew up with this one part of me that was um, pretty humble. And then I grew up with this other side of going to the cafeteria at Yale and just kind of seeing all this diversity and so I would pick up books. I was an avid reader as a kid, and I would just, like, lose myself in other cultures. 
that led me to being curious about everything. So whenever I would get an information flyer, oh, go skiing, go whitewater rafting, go kayaking, go camping, join Girl Scouts, go on this trip, you know, to learn more in DC or do people to people student ambassador to go to another country when I was in high school. I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like anything <laughs> to kind of like understand the world. I knew it was bigger than New Haven. I knew it was bigger than Connecticut. I knew it was bigger than the U.S. And anytime I could, I would just get it. So then um, went through high school, went to college. In college, I was first generation. And so I always say, had I known more about majors, because that social capital didn't exist in my family being first, my family to go to college, I probably would have studied anthropology and journalism. And I probably would have been some sort of like writer living in different cultures and like telling stories. Um, and so that's probably what I would have done. But I never heard of the word anthropology till my junior year. I had to take it for a core like requirement. I was like, man, this is really cool. My professor had lived in this Aboriginal community in Australia. And I was like, but it was too late. I had almost, I was already done. I was like, checked out. I was like, there's no way I'm changing my major again. Um, and so <laughs> that was that. Um, and then when I finished, I finished with political science um, as my major with theology as well. And I minored in human rights. So I was really interested in like social justice. My dad was a really advocate. And so just like what I wanted to do, this is actually really relevant now because I'm rewatching Girlfriends. Um, and the reason why, yes, you and every other black girl, we're all watching Girlfriends right now. Um, and one was a lawyer. And also my mom worked in a law firm as well. He um, was like a legal secretary for a law firm. So all I knew was one for my mom and two, Joan was like pretty, she had friends and she seemed to always have time to go out. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'll be a lawyer. Like clearly like law is where it's at. And so did a uh, internship. I want to say it was in DC and I hated it. And I was like, Joan went out every day. Like I remember she had these really cute heels under her desk and every day her and Maya would always have time to go out for lunch and happy hour. And then I did the internship. I was like, this is not real. So quickly abandoned that ship and talked to my good friend still today. And she was like, you know, what else do you like to do? And at the time I had worked at this uh, camp Pennsylvania and Missouri, where we took urban youth and we brought them into the middle of nowhere and we did all these like adventure activities, uh, canoeing, kayaking, they would do high ropes, like kind of all these adventure things. Um, and I loved being a counselor, like I loved working with students, kind of like quote unquote unleashing their potential. And so she was like, why don't you, uh, you know, become a therapist or a counselor at a high school? And I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be really great. So went to Howard in DC, which is when we met. Um, and I was there at the perfect time. I got there in 08 and Obama had just been inaugurated and to be at Howard's campus was just incredible. But, but for me, a defining moment was being at Howard University's cafeteria because I had a lot of moments at Yale University's cafeteria. And when I was at Yale, the cafeteria consisted of people that looked like me, but they were all janitors or food workers or cashiers or, you know, maintenance, whatever. And there at Howard, all of the people that looked like me were doctors and nurses. And I was like, holy crap, this is incredible. Um, I can be anything. My dean was black. The president of Howard was black. Our professors were black. Everyone was black. And it was an opportunity. I always smart and I always believed in myself, but I think I lacked the connection that I could be what I thought I could be internally. And that's why I like resonated with Joan and girlfriends because she looked like me. And so that like 
Howard was probably one of the things that was like, oh yeah, anything in the world, I can do it. Um, even if I might not be qualified, I was like, but it can be done. And so that was necessary for me to go to Howard. Um, and then after Howard, worked in higher ed, uh, worked with first year students, helped them like holistically to get through, you know, their first year, the ups and downs emotionally. Um, and that was great. And then I worked at a high school in my hometown. The kids had a walkout wanting more black and brown you know, educators. And I was like, well, I never dreamt to work at this university. At the university, I like was an adjunct in the undergrad and grad psych department. But again, all those things was because I said yes. So like when I was a kid, I said yes to every single thing. And then when I became an adult, I said yes to every single thing. That made sense to me. It was just very open. So I went to this high school. And then um, a few years later, the school that I work at now, which is a high school that traveled the globe, reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking for a counselor. And so you have to be mentally health, mental health certified um, or a therapist, so to speak. And you also have to do college counseling, the travel, you have to live adventure. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my job. And so now I'm in my third academic year with them and it's been incredible. So that's kind of like the brief synopsis of my life and where I am, but it's super fun. I live for adventure. Um, and I feel like everything that I do, um, gives me that every day. So I'm really grateful. That's an amazing story slash testimony. And I, I will say, I, I will say I have to share really quickly anecdotally, since you mentioned girlfriends and uh, <laughs> before you and I started chatting today, you know, we were talking about visiting the dentist. So I went to the dentist a couple of weeks ago and the dentist actually has Netflix um, that they play there for the patients. And they asked me, um, is there anything that you would like to watch? And I was like, girlfriends, which of course they had not heard of, <laughs> but I, I quickly brought them up to speed. So yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's such a part of our development. Like I think about some of the shows that have been amazing during COVID that have come out girlfriends, living single, um, the game, sister, sister, Moesha. Like these were things that I remember going home and watching with my family on Friday, on Thursday, on Tuesdays. And then when I was in college, which I think girlfriends was out more so when I was an undergrad. Um, but just like watching these shows that showed us in, um, this incredible light. And so, yeah, it's just, it's funny watching it now. Cause now we're actually older than the women, when they played on girlfriend, you know, so like Joan was right. 30 and now we're older than her and we're like looking like girl, I don't think I would ever. And like, you know, when I was 18 watching it, it was like, oh my God, they're so pretty, they're so fun, they're so smart, they're everything. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so toxic. This whole thing is really bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I will tell you, spoiler alert, next season, what, what I would like to do ideally is actually talk about 90s sitcoms because I do think um, that they were very formative for us, especially as like black women and, and the different images that we saw. And so, yeah, yeah so definitely, I would say girlfriends, uh, different world, mm -hmm. and living single. Those are probably like my like top three favorites. But there were so many that were you know impactful and and beautiful. And like you said, when you go back and look at some of the storylines now, you're like, hmm. But some of them were, you know, definitely um, ahead of their time. Uh, so, yeah. uh, 
so yeah, so maybe next season we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back on to talk about one of the shows. Sounds like you have a passion for girlfriends. So, uh, listen, yeah. it literally helped me pick my major in college, which <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so well, back to to, to traveling uh, abroad. Uh, just want to find out how many different countries have you been to in total, and then how many of those were you able to visit as a result of your current job with the Think Global School. Yeah, that's a great question. When I saw this being asked, I was like, oh my gosh, let me find out. So there is an app called Bin. B-E-E-N, and it does allow you to track. So I've been to 74 countries um, in total. So I started traveling when I was an undergrad. I went to South Africa. That was my first time on a plane and haven't stopped since. And as a result of my job, um, I want to say I've been to, I didn't count this one, but I want to say including conferences and other like professional development opportunities, I've probably been to around 13. So of the 74, probably like 13, maybe 14 or 15 with my job. And had COVID wow. not hit, it would have been a few more. Yeah. <laughs> if, if COVID hadn't hit, it may have been 100, huh? Maybe. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just I, I mean, I did have this really epic East Africa trip planned that I should actually be on right now. It would have been my last weekend. I'm supposed to be in Rwanda right now, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't think 100 will be hit anytime soon just because the places are now so spread out. So it's hard to kind of hop around. The good thing about my job is I work for two months and then I have a month off. And so, like, let's say, for example, if we are in Botswana for work and we're two months and I have a month off, I would just spend my month off traveling East Africa. So then I can take my time and go through different countries or do a tour or something. And so um, that now the places are, are spread out. So it's, it's not as easy. Um, the only place that I can probably hop will probably be more of Southeast Asia. Um, and I plan to do that at some point in between um, our India and Japan term. But again, everything's on pause now. We're virtual, just like most schools. So I'm in LA. <laughs> <laughs> It's my first time living in the U.S. in three years, and it's really interesting. Um, but L.A. has been a good fit for me. I've never been here, but I needed warm weather, and there was no way I was going to bear uh, winter if I didn't have to. <laughs> I know that's right. As a Floridian, that speaks to my spirit <laughs> fully. Yeah, but I'm which... also not dealing with humidity either, which <laughs> and it does not speak to my <laughs> Fair and 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 not to go t- not to get off on too much of a tangent because I do have more questions for you. But, but I do have to say, I mean, since you're living in LA, I mean, congrats to the Lakers. Like, yes, I there's so much. Like, you know, I mean, I I'll say this: I really respect LeBron, especially when he first made the decision to even go back to Cleveland, mm-hmm. and then and then. Since then, I just feel like he's really just matured into such an incredible, like, man and activist. And I actually appreciate what he's doing off the court more than on the court. But even what he's been able to do on the court is incredible. And then because I'm a big basketball enthusiast, like, there's just so many little backstories about this current Lakers team um, that I love um, so much. Uh, Just a quick highlight, for example, being an Orlando Magic fan, uh, Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm. actually played against 
Kobe uh, back in 2009, and we, of course, lost, right? Yeah. And then Dwight Howard went on to play with Kobe, but unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out at that time. But then to see him actually get a championship and for and and a big piece of it was they were motivated, right, to honor his yeah. legacy. And so just there's, uh, again, there's so many, again, I'm a basketball nerd, so I could, like, <laughs> go down the <laughs> roster and tell, but, but that's just one example. So anyway, I, I'm sure for you, I mean, they, it's, it's cool that they were actually playing here yeah. in Florida where I live, but I'm sure in L.A., like, it's probably just been, like, euphoria <laughs> for the last two days. With- yeah, I'm actually going on a bike ride after this, and we're going to head to Staples Center. But, like, that night, it was pretty cool. Everyone either went to Crenshaw or they went to the Staples Center. And, um, yeah, so definitely cool to be part of the energy because when you're overseas, like, think about the podcast topic – you know, those things aren't really a thing overseas. Like, no one's watching basketball or football. Like, no one cares. And so the only sport that really exists overseas are the Olympics and soccer or football is what the rest of the world calls it. And so there's a couple of reasons. Well, there's a couple of reasons, right? Like, football slash soccer is um, just like the the worldwide sport. Like, everyone cares and everyone does it. And, and here, we're not like outside of like soccer moms and like elementary middle school, like soccer kind of just goes away. Um, But overseas, that's kind of the thing to watch and the thing to cheer for. And everyone is kind of in on it. And also with time zones. So if I'm living in Australia, you know, Sunday night football is like Monday morning or Monday afternoon. So it has a different feel like no one's watching it. You might find a bar or a place that will play American sports if you're there on a Sunday. But usually between the time difference and just the interest, I I haven't really followed American sports in a very long time. So it was cool to be here for that. Yeah, most definitely. My my brother-in-law is actually from Cameroon, and he is obsessed with soccer. And, uh, and my nephew just recently started playing. And so I told my sister, I was like, okay, so basically when you send me videos, I'm going to hear like my brother-in-law's voice in the background. Cause he like, <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of like cheering, yelling, coaching, I put coaching in quotation marks, but yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So. But like we're the anomaly, you know, like exactly. hundred million, 325 million people in the U S are the anomaly in the world. Um, because the rest of the world loves soccer or they follow it. And so outside of like the kids who love basketball and things like that, like the rest of the sports don't really get as much attention outside of the Olympics. Right. Which we will look forward to in 2021, right? Hopefully. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, That's the plan, but as 2020 has taught us. (laughs) Yeah. There's no way. Your plans. Right. right, Exactly. Your plans mean nothing. But so, uh, so actually just like speaking of culture as an African-American, how did you find and build community abroad? And, and while I know that you met people from diverse backgrounds, how were you able to connect with other black people and, or other expats like yourself? Yeah. So what I normally do, I'm, part of a few Facebook groups. So I'm part of Black Americans Living Abroad. I'm part of the Managed Travel Tribe. And I'm a part of International Educators Abroad. And so those three groups, normally, uh, I have my travel schedule. So usually, like, 
two months before, I usually post in the group, hey, I'm going to be in this location, anybody there, or I'll search the group to see if people are there and kind of reach out to people. Most places have these uh, smaller groups, like kind of breakout groups, and they'll they'll be called something like um, Black Expats in Ecuador, Black Expats in Australia, Black Expats in um, England or London or whatever. And so then once you go on there, you know, I kind of introduce myself, Hey, I'm going to be here for eight, nine weeks, you know, what places that I should live. So how my job works is we get a stipend to live somewhere in the city. And so I really rely on them to find out, okay, what's a good community that I'll like. I kind of know myself now I can adjust pretty quickly to a city like day one. Um, I unpack, I get settled. Like I don't belabor that whole, like living out of a suitcase. I don't do it anywhere I go. Even if I'm in a place for four days, I'm fully unpacked. I also don't pack a lot either. So it's like, you know, I know what I need. I'm like an avid traveler. I can like, I don't have a lot of crap. Like everything in my suitcase will probably get used. (laughs) Um, and so, Ultimately, I reach out to those groups and then just kind of build community that way. The, the easiest place for me to meet people is a gym. So my job gives us a stipend for wellness. And so usually I'll join. I really like Orange Theory Fitness. So if I find an orange somewhere, I'm somewhere with group classes. Um, and group classes are cool because if you do group classes, you can pick up the language. So like I went to a Pilates studio in Athens in Greece. So I learned like, I'm like can nail Greek numbers because like, you know, she's counting down and counting up all the time. Um, the same thing is true in like orange theory. I love that gym. I try to find that. And then you just meet people in the classes. So one of my good girlfriends who I still talk to today, I met her in Bosnia, Sarajevo. She's from the Philippines, but she lived in the U S for a little bit. And, you know, I, I didn't speak a, a ton of the local language, but there was one time this little lady just wouldn't move from my spot. And I was just like, could someone help me tell her like, this is my spot. And finally I was asking this, this girl who became my friend and she was like, Oh no, I don't speak the language. I was like, but you speak English. (laughs) And so from there we had like dinner parties, we would go out and you know, she was a really good part. So thankfully my coworkers are really good. Um, and so I have one coworker named Sam. He's black. He's from England. He's by way of Nigerian, uh, Nigeria. So we connect, we bond. And so we usually go to like different spots together. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool feeling. It's a cool place. And, um, we just, we just learn from each like, where do we want to go? But for me, I always meet people at the gym. Well, since you mentioned orange theory, I will tell you, I went there once last year with a friend because you know how you can do the free visit yeah and uh i have not been back now i wish i could say <laughs> it was attributed <laughs> Wait, to why? well because honestly i have um i have a gym that i was going to through work and so it was just way more convenient for me to pop over to that gym and take the classes there than mm-hmm. go through the traffic to get to the orange theory. Um, but wow. it was, I mean, it was definitely a dope workout, you know, I, yeah. and actually the other day I was um, doing some grocery shopping and I passed by orange theory and there was a line out the door for it. So I'm sure that's due to their probably social distancing measures and all of that, but still. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, group class, 
I like it because it has the rower, the, the treadmill, yeah. and then it has the weights and it has TRX. So, I mean, this is no commercial for them, but for me, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to just go in a gym and try to figure it out. Like those classes are like, I think it's like 60 minutes, like get me in, get me out. I feel great. They're expensive, right. but I like them a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely a great workout. And I'm, you know, I do, I'll put it this way. I definitely also enjoy group workouts, which I was doing um, before, but right now, like the, the company gym's closed. So I've just become my own personal trainer and tried to like take, you know, tips from yeah. what I learned in those classes and just apply it. But yeah, for sure. But that's a, that's a really uh, awesome way to build community is through fitness for sure. So I love, love, love that. And do you feel like there were, certain countries where as a black person or a black woman, you felt more welcomed or celebrated or embraced? Hmm. More welcome. I feel like, especially in Asia, you are seen as like an anomaly. That's why we have to get out here. We have to travel. There are a ton of us traveling, but when it looks at, when you look at the ratio, it's still not a lot. So yes, in Shanghai, Beijing, um, in those larger places, Bangkok, yeah, they've seen black women. But when you go to like small towns, it's like such an anomaly. And so there's a difference for me though. Like in China specifically, I felt like I was seen, but not cared for. Like they were excited to witness me. They would always want to take pictures. Um, but would they have like a conversation with me, invite me to dinner? No, never. Um, and it's almost like, I felt like I was an exhibit at a zoo, you know, especially cause I have locks and yeah, I don't know. It was just really interesting. I can't really pinpoint how to describe it, but, um, yeah, that was interesting. I loved Eastern Europe. I feel like Eastern Europe was a place that people treated, they were like, oh my God, this is a goddess of a woman. So this was like, when I say Eastern Europe, I mean like Bosnia, Montenegro, Albania, Kosovo. Um, like I traveled through those places and I felt like almost a celebrity. I remember I was in Kosovo and my homeboy was there too. And <laughs> One, both of us had different experiences jogging through the city and like people were like beeping their horn and like waving and like super excited to see us. I didn't feel like I was on exhibit, but more like, wow, you're beautiful. You're a queen. Like, you know, what can we do? So that was cool. And I think I love traveling in Latin America because there's Afro Latinos. I know like in the U.S. we're not a hundred percent well-educated on this idea of being Afro-Latino. Like, being Afro-Latino is not half Black, half Puerto Rican, right? Like, it's literally descendants of slaves who live in Latin America. And so because of that, there's enough people that look like me that I actually blend in. So they'll, like, speak to me in Spanish, and I feel really good about that, even though my conversation will get cut off at some point. Um, I am almost fluent in Spanish, but still, at some point, it will get cut off. I don't know all the words and all of the different topics in depth. But, like, it's cool to just feel at home. Like, you're not a tourist. Like, uh, you're you're not a visitor. You're at home. There are implications that come with that, right? Like, there's colorism. They think that you're poor, potentially, until you start speaking and hear an American accent from the U.S. And so, yeah. But I feel like all over the world, I've had very interesting experiences. I think being Black on the continent of Africa is bomb. Like, you know, just waking up and not having to put on Blackness, not having to think about being Black. All the billboards are Black. The toothpaste, the lady on 
Bates is black. Like that was pretty freeing too, and like a like a cool experience. And I have to have that weight of being black. Um, but to be honest, I was talking to my friend about this the other day. You know, the weight of being black in the U.S. is very different than the weight of being black in other places. There's anti-blackness everywhere. I don't want people to think that they can leave anti-blackness. Um, but what it looks like presents itself totally different. So I feel more, I feel heavier being in the U.S. And I've only been back in the U.S. since June 15th. Um, than I have in the three years combined living overseas, being black in all these places, even when I'm the only one like in a place like Sarajevo and Bosnia. Um, like I didn't feel like it was as heavy. And of course I'm a black woman. If you ask my coworker, Sam, who's a black male, he will have a different experience um, as a male as well. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just really interesting, but I, I don't know if there was one country that stands out but that's kind of my experience across the globe yeah it's really dope i love how you kind of describe your experiences throughout like the various continents mm -hmm. and and your reception there so it sounds like eastern europe is is where you got to go if you want to get you a husband you know what I'm, 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 I'm just... listen no i'm serious if you want it let me tell you eastern european men they're taller they're darker. They know how to cook. The food has flavor because they were, um, they had the Ottoman rule for a little bit from Turkey. So if you know anything about Turkish food, it's good. It's flavorful. So they had Ottoman rule. So you think Eastern Europe, you think like old Yugoslavia. And so that region, the women are taller, the men are taller. They're a little, they're darker. They, um, Again, they have like a little bit of a swag. They've also been marginalized. Like people will say like, oh, they're not like real Europeans, right? Like they're not the Western white Europeans. They're a little bit darker. So, I mean, they're pretty cool. I mean, everyone has their own experiences, but I liked living in Eastern Europe. It's just like the character, the family values, the collectivism. It was cool. If you're into, if you're into, uh, you know, white men, European men, have at it. Go to Europe, take the bus all around all the countries and find you a man. <laughs> I, I love that. We're, you know, we're also giving a little bit of dating advice here on Brown Girl Radiant, so that's why I'm getting tickled. Listen, <laughs> um, I'm here for whatever people need. So, <laughs> <laughs> so another experience, actually, that uh, that I do want to talk about, which you mentioned earlier, and that is the impacts of of COVID. And I know that you were abroad in Ecuador when all of the COVID shutdowns started happening in the U.S. as well as across the world. And so I'm just curious if you can describe like what that, what the experience was like there, uh, being quarantined, et cetera, and then also um, seeing how COVID was being handled here in the U.S. Okay. So when I was, we were in Chile for work. Um, so we were in Southern South America and my job, we were doing a two week hike through Patagonia. It was completely remote expedition style. So in case you're wondering, no, there were no bathrooms, there were no showers for two weeks. We cooked our own food. Everything we needed was on our backs. We camped, we trekked, we got dropped off by a bus. We knew on the map where they were going to pick us up in two weeks and we just had to work our way there. And it took 14 days, about 12, 14 days to get there. So just to paint the picture, we had no idea that the world was going down in flames. Um, we were literally having a great time in nature, 
Um, if you, I think I have some photos like on my Instagram of just like the sunset, the stars, just the beauty of being disconnected and the experiences that we had as a team, you know, so we were split up in teams, but it was just incredible. I love expedition style things. I love nature. So it was perfect. So we had no idea. So we get picked up on the bus. We still have no idea because we're like three and a half hour drive back into the base camp of Patagonia where you get where our cell phones are. We couldn't even bring our cell phones. Um, And so we get our cell phones and we realize, oh my God, what happened to the so we have students from South Korea and at the time, um, Seoul was in flames. Our next country, we were going to have a month off, as I was saying earlier, our next country was Italy, which was also up in flames. And we had a student that was from Seattle, also up in flames. So at the time, we're like, we left y'all for two weeks. What happened? And so that is kind of, that was March 9th we got back. So literally the middle, like, seven days before. So March 10th, myself, and I think I was with Sam, my coworker, and we went to Argentina. We had already had this trip planned, like we were going to go. And so we were living in several places, but we would hang out every day. And we're like, yo, what do you think is going to happen? Italy is definitely not going down. Like they, they were, this is the time they were the Italians. They were singing on the balcony. They couldn't leave their house. Um, and so we're like, well, we had, tickets to go to Iguazu Falls, which is like Niagara Falls on steroids. And so we were, we still went, it was fine. We, there was mask in abundance. And my next stop for my month off was Ecuador. Um, I had my scuba diving certification. So I was going to the Galapagos Island to go scuba diving. And Sam was like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go back to Chile, get my stuff, and I'm going to go to Atlanta. So, like, cool. We peaced out. Like, haven't seen anybody since. Um, but I went to Ecuador, and I had a couple of choices. I was like, well, no one knew how long it was going to last. But what I did know was that I could live in Ecuador. My apartment was great. I had, like, a one-bedroom condo and good internet. You know, everything's solid. It's a capital city. And so... um, I was looking at the news and I saw y'all over in the U.S. fighting over toilet paper. I saw, I saw just nonsense. And I was like, there's no way I'm going back. There was, there was, everything was in abundance in Ecuador because they're agricultural country. Like they produce everything that they need. And I was like, you know what, for my own mental health, I'm gonna go ahead and stay here. And so I decided to stay in Ecuador because I would just did not want to deal with the foolishness of being back in the U.S. Like, I don't know how it was, it was literally a mess. Like watching that there was no milk, there was no eggs. There was, there was no Lysol cans. There was no toilet paper. I'm like, I don't understand what is going on. And I just had a feeling the leadership would just not respond. So in Ecuador, Ecuador decided, um, on March, I was the last plane in to Quito. And they decided that after that, citizens of Ecuador had five days to get back home. So they were willing to help out the citizens to get back home. And then after that, the borders were going to be closed to anyone coming in. And so that meant citizens and, like, people, um, 
travelers or foreigners alike. So they, in Quito, Quito is a little bit farther than Guayaquil. Now, Guayaquil, Guayaquil, Guayaquil in Ecuador got hit pretty bad. That's a cruise port. So it's where a lot of cruises. So there had been like a whole bunch of European, Europeaners on vacation and it just spread. It's a poor community. So it just spread like wildfire, but Ecuador cut that area off everywhere else in the country were kind of shielded from every. You couldn't travel state to state and no one can come in the country. So whatever COVID existed in the country, as of March 21st, no one else is going to be able to come in. Now, they allowed people to leave, but there was like no one's coming in. And so they kept it that way until June 10th, I want to say, um, when they allowed people to finally come back in. But by that point, like things had kind of like worn off. Like we had curfew. We had days that people can go to the grocery store based off of your last name or based off of your license number. I mean, even the experience going into a grocery store, like they hose you down. They like made you step in like solution. Everyone had masks. Everyone had gloves. There was no fighting about if in between every single cashier, you know, thing, every, you know, cashier lane got sprayed down. They were spraying down the aisles. It was just super, super, um, as clean as they could. You know, the only things that were open were delivery service through like Uber Eats. So you can get things through Uber Eats. I ended up finding a local farm. And so I never really went to the grocery store, but I found a local farm and they would deliver every Friday, all of my like fish, my fresh fish, meat, dairy, fruit, vegetables, everything. And so I was good. Thankfully my, like in my building I had a gym and a pool, but all that stuff was closed, but we did have a rooftop. So I went up there, I would do that. And I ended up getting more discipline into yoga. And so would take yoga every day. I would work out. I found this uh, trainer um, and she had like a thing that for 90 days. So I, I brought that, met these other two girls who I still see often because they now work out with my roommate on Zoom. And every day we worked out. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until June 15th. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I'll fly home now. I didn't need like a, 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 like a special flight. United was bringing people home from Ecuador three times a week. So I never had a fear that I would ever be stuck. I just didn't want to go back. The only reason I went back on June 15th is because my visa was up. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to go back. So that was it. I mean, I, I would have loved to stay. I mean, the weather there is perfect. It's kind of like LA. There's no humidity. Um, they have three seasons in one day. Like you wake up, it's nice and like kind of like springtime. And then during the day, it gets hot like summer. And then at night, it's like fall. So there's, and again, no humidity. But yeah, so that was my experience. Um, people did not complain. Like I got flipped out in Spanish. Um, I went in my building with a huge building and I went, it was a pretty new building. So, you know, the demographic of the people were pretty wealthy, but, um, like the, I went to get my Uber Eats downstairs and I forgot to put on a mask in the elevator. And this lady was like, get off. And I was like, wait, what? And she was like, and it was just like, no one argued about, should we wear a mask? No one argued about, should we be outside? People were just doing what the government said. And that was it. And so, you know, yes, people lost a lot. Yes, people suffered. But I feel like there was this collective effort to figure this out so they can get on with their lives. So, yeah, that was that. That was my experience in Ecuador when I was there. Wow. Wow. <laughs> very, very unique. Um, but yeah. I, it sounds like you were uh, able to kind of 
have an, a nice little uh, oasis, if you will, from from all of the <laughs> foolishness that was taking place here in <laughs> in the U.S. Yeah. So that's really dope. So, so speaking of experiences, I do want to ask you what has been your most rewarding experience in traveling abroad, and then also what's been your most challenging experience in tra- traveling abroad. Mm. So when you say rewarding experience, you mean like my favorite place or like an experience? <laughs> experience. We'll talk about favorite places later. So oh, more okay. about the. Yeah, the totality of your experiences. Yeah. Um, hmm, that's such a great question. I think like traveling alone has been really great and fun. I think I've learned a lot about myself. I think I, um, discover things that I like to do that maybe I didn't have space to do before. You know how, like sometimes even now, like I kind of really not kind of, I really hate when I say like, Oh yeah, like the surf or, Oh yeah, I do scuba diving or, Oh, I like to bungee jump. What's the first thing you think people say to me? White people stuff. I knew it. <laughs> I'm like, how is this white people stuff? Like, how did they get the monopoly on this? And I know it's not just you, it's everybody. No, I don't, I wasn't, I'm not, you asked me and I'm, look, as a person of the culture, I'm saying, I know that's the response that you get. That's exactly the response. I don't think you would say that to me. I don't think you've ever said anything like that to me, but people say that all the time and it really upsets me because it's like, why do we give a whole group of people a monopoly on this? You know, I remember the first time I skydived and I never tell my parents when I remember to do risky stuff. Like if I go, I go like, you know, they don't need to know before they can know after, but usually I just send them pictures after and they're like, Oh my gosh. You know, and my dad, you know, he was just like, we don't do this. And I'm like skydiving. I'm like, Oh, but what, what about the Tuskegee airmen? Like, what about those people who who did that? Like, we're brave. We just never had freedom to be brave, you know? Like, we were braving, we were using all of our bravery for survival in our communities. But, like, this is who we can be. Like, you know, I was just reading about, I don't know what sport it was. Oh, maybe it was NASCAR and how the number one NASCAR driver is this black guy. And it's just like, you know, they took us out of these these places because they knew if we had an opportunity, we would just be bombed, whether it's swimming, gymnastics, golf, whatever it is, like we can do it. And we brought into this idea that these things are white people's things. And I just really despise that because I'm like, no, it's not. Um, This is, we belong here and we're going to make ourselves a seat at the table if they don't want to give it to us. Um, But yeah, I think just having freedom to do things and not worry about like someone saying like, no, I don't want to do that. And then I'm like, oh, okay, fine. We don't have to do it. But just like, making the decision uh, for myself. I would say the most challenging experience is, this is actually interesting. I just thought about this. Um, For challenging, I think like as a black woman who primarily dates and am attracted to black men, I find that it's really hard to convince people that being nomadic is a way of life. Um, and it sucks because I see a lot of white people do it all the time. Like I see them work for government jobs and they move every three to five years and it's normal. And I'm not even talking like black people do it in military, but it's like this despise of doing it. It's not like, Oh, I get to live overseas. It's like, I got to go overseas, you know? And so, um, but as like a, 
like as someone who's working for like a company or the government or school, um, you know, they, the packages are lucrative, right? And so, you know, it's usually tax-free salary. They usually pay for you to fly over there uh, as well as your dependents. They usually give you housing, the salary is competitive, like, you know, all of these different things, like free health insurance, like all these different components that can come with living overseas. But it's always like, I get this question that's really hard to swallow all the time. It's like, well, when do you think you'll settle down? It's like, well, I'm pretty settled in my identity. I'm pretty settled in who I am. Like, I don't see settled as location more so like I bring myself as a grounded person. Um, And so I think that's the challenging part is like, finding people who understand that this lifestyle is not a phase. This lifestyle is not just for the 20 year old something who's like running around. Cause I'm definitely not twenties. Um, but it's just like, that's probably the most challenging because I always feel like I have to give up one to get the other. Um, and I have so many stories of people that I'm meeting, like, especially in international school world. And they're like, Oh no, like we love it. We save so much money living overseas. Our kids get like this amazing adventurous life. Not even just in my school is different in that we travel every term um, because the kids will live in 12 countries every three years. And so like, if you work at a regular place, you're in one place for three years. And I'm like, that's so cool. Like, why do we feel like this idea of like buying a house for 30 years, like getting a car and like, you know, you know, that's the totality of life. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. So that's probably the most challenging is finding someone compatible who understand again, that this is not something I I have to give up. This is like people live as expats for their entire lives and it's a thing, um, but not necessarily a thing in our community. Cause even when people ask me like, are you still doing that thing? I'm like, you mean my job? (laughs) Like that, that needed two whole degrees and a license. Like, Yes, I'm I'm still working at the school. Like, it's not like a program. It's not like some sort of random thing. Like, this school has been around like 10, 11 years. Like, you know, people do this. And it's just like, I know they don't mean anything by it. I, I never say anything. But it's just so funny because I know they're hinting like, girl, when are you going to find yourself and settle down? That's like really what they mean. Um, and so I think that's the most challenging thing is like convincing people or showing people that um, the American dream is are you really living a dream or are you just pretending you are because you were sold that? Like there's so many other ways of life. And I, I find that like, especially in Europe, people do that often. Like people take opportunities like in another country on another continent, they take a whole year off to do something that they love. And it's just not something that exists in the U S. Yeah. Basically your, your lifestyle is, is I guess what you would describe as like a cultural disruption to what Americans are used to, and especially African-Americans. Yeah. But but it's, it's beautiful. And I, I love, you know, seeing your, your stories and um, your Instagram posts, which I'll make sure that you share your information (laughs) at the end (laughs) because it's, it's so beautiful, just the, the photos, but more than that, like, I don't know, I feel like you can feel like that spirit and that joy that just emanates from, from every post. So, uh, I applaud you. And this is why, like, I'm like, this is why I wanted to get you on here, uh, to help (laughs) kind of disrupt our mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what would you say that you have learned about yourself doing, Mm -hmm. doing all this traveling abroad and living abroad? (laughs) Yeah, I learned that I love people, but I also am okay being alone. Like I love 
my like being like in Ecuador and COVID, I knew no one. And like for three months, I knew no one. Well, in the beginning I had this, I had a friend for like 12 days who was also there, um, met like him and his friend. He was a doctor in Paris and he was a black guy and he was stuck there. And so we all hung out like, you know, socially distanced on the rooftop. Um, but I love being alone and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I journal a lot. I got back to reading, um, and I thought I would like maybe go stir crazy, but every day I woke up, I was like, Hey girl, I was like, Hey, <laughs> it was just like every day it was just me and it was cool. And, um, it's something that is not necessary to be by yourself for 90 days, but I noticed like how restored I was at the end of that. And I took it as an opportunity. Like, I think a lot of times when people see me, they think that I always wanted to do something and that I always have something to do and I need to be that way. But I always do something because it's really cool. And I'm like, oh, this is a cool adventure and I want to do it. But I also am on, can be on the other side of the spectrum and do nothing. Like this week I'm off and I literally, outside of like taking my Spanish lesson and riding my bike, like I've said no to mostly everything else. <laughs> Yeah, so I think well, I learned that, like, I have a good balance. Yeah, I would actually, I would, you know, echo your sentiment in saying that I feel like overall that's probably something that COVID has definitely taught me. And not that, like, before, like, you know, before just in the hustle and bustle of life, sometimes I would take a day, you know, just for myself to be with myself. And that didn't necessarily mean like doing anything, being in my, in my home and resting, reading, devotion, whatever that might look like. But I think in the age of COVID, like I've really learned, like, no, I really enjoy being myself. I absolutely love people, mm-hmm. love connecting with friends, love connecting with family, but I'm okay alone. And it's funny because one of my best friends ended up surprising me on Easter. She came over, her and her parents had made this meal. And, and so she like, text me and said, Hey, like, we want to like bring you, you know, some food. And of course I, like, I had already planned on prepping something for myself, but Hey, who's going to turn down the free meal. Right. And, you know, it's very sweet and thoughtful. She said, but we, you know, we just worry about you because we, you know, felt like maybe you're lonely. And I was like, girl, I am okay, (laughs) but I do appreciate the meal. Exactly. So part of the reason, you know, why I started this podcast is because, you know, I wanted to celebrate Black women, because I feel like a lot of times in the mainstream, we're not celebrated, even though we are magical superheroes mm-hmm. who are constantly always trying to, to find ways to impact the world in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes at our own expense. And so I just wanted to ask you, uh, what do you feel like your superpower is? Um, when I saw this question, I think that it goes in the same. I think I'm like naturally authentic and I think I am in my authenticity. I can be adaptable. So I don't feel like I ever lose parts of myself when I'm adapting to other situations. Like I know sometimes being adaptable might mean like you lose yourself, but I think I'm like so authentic that it doesn't change even in being adaptable and that I'm able to get to a place, I'm able to find stability, find home, find comfort. I'm like easy to please, usually food. Um, And like a good conversation, like one good girlfriend, I'm like, hey girl, let's do everything together. Great. Okay, cool. Check that off. Um, But I think 
I bring my whole self into a place. And I think that has helped me to impact the world by having conversations, being in cultural exchanges, um, imparting who I am, but also understanding I, I don't know everything. Um, in my authenticity, I don't know everything. And so learning from them too. So I would say that's probably um, my superpower. I think I've been able to, um, I guess, I don't know, deepen my my acceptance of self. I find that I've never fit into like any box, like whether it's like the black girl box, the Christian box, the educated box, the like nerdy box, like all these different boxes. Um, and it was hard to like figure out like, man, where do I fit? It's like, I don't fit anywhere. I just am who I am. And so I want to say that um, I think being abroad helped me to like solidify who I was and be okay with who I am. I like the good things about me, the cool things about me, the nerdy things about me, the lame things about me, like all of those things. It's all good. It's just, I, there's nothing I can do about it. This is just who I am. So I think that has helped. And not, not that you need a cosign, but I would say I definitely agree. I think that's probably <laughs> something that <laughs> attracted me to, to you as a friend is your authenticity, which again, it just emanates even, um, as I mentioned earlier, like in your post, when you're posting about a place that you've been, it's not from a place of like flexing, but truly a place of like sharing an incredible experience or providing some type of form of education and, or, or just a piece of joy, you know, placing that into the atmosphere. Thanks. You're welcome. So what do you, or I should ask, do you have any advice for black women specifically um, when traveling abroad or people in general, but you know, since, since this show is Brown Girl Radiance, if you have any tips for all the, the radiant brown girls out there. Uh, do it. Just travel. Um, I would say do it wisely. Um, there's some like non-negotiables that I do if I'm traveling solo. So if I'm traveling solo, I normally, if it's not like a dinner wine, I don't drink. Um, I don't need to go to the party at night. Like if I'm not sure, like I don't need those experiences to have a good time. And I do that because I need to be safe. Um, I fly in during the day. I never fly in at night. I always walk the neighborhood, kind of get a feel for it. Um, I have a couple of apps I can actually share that I personally use, um, whenever I'm traveling overseas that I think are like really important. There's the regular ones like Duolingo for you to learn a language. I think it's super important for us to not feel entitled. Um, but like Trip Whistle is an app that I use. It's an app I use because no matter where you are, it'll like geolocate you and the number for the for the ambulance the police or the fire will like pop up because everywhere is not 911 um so i think it's super important for people to do that i always have a rule that like there's one person i check in with at the same time every day so then they kind of know where i am um you know i'm just trying to think about those are things that i think that will make people uh a little bit more comfortable downloading the map before you get there. So download Google Maps, see if Uber works overseas. If it does, great. I buy a local SIM card, um, but most of you will probably just use your regular SIM card and accrue the cost. Um, but whatever it is for you to be local, um, I think it's super important, like know your way back to where you're going. But again, I 100% don't play with like danger. It's not about fear. It's just about wisdom. And so like, 
like, it's not even about fear of the people. It's just like, if I don't know a place, I don't know the language. If Uber is not readily available, I got to flag a taxi down. It's just a lot of work. I may not go, um, out at night, you know? And if I do go out, I'm not drinking, especially if I'm by myself. And if I'm with friends, like choose friends wisely, like friends that you have in your hometown that you might turn up with may not be the friend that you want to go overseas who might just only want to turn up and not be wise. So I've had really good experiences, you know, take a Krav Maga class, you know, learn a little bit of self-defense if you need to. Um, Nothing has ever happened to me. So I've been extremely blessed. I find that um, the stories that you hear about women being attacked, I don't always hear it a lot about black women, um, but it's not to say it, it won't happen. But for me, I'm just like vigilant wise and I still have a good time if I am looking for somewhere to go that is like I want to party I would find a location that's like suitable for like that happening where it's like the the like hotel everything is kind of like helping you with it but I would just say go um find groups there's like traveling black women like find solo traveler groups um and get tips because we've been doing we've been out here in this space for a long time you don't have to figure it out on your own um and even little things like hey you know don't stay at this hotel because there's been a list of people that have had bad experiences those groups can kind of help you on facebook to to know that but just go like it's it'll really change your life and just be and enjoy it and if you don't enjoy it and don't do it again, that's fine. Like, but just try it. <laughs> Love that. So as you were talking, it actually made me think of something else that I think is usually very important to, uh, not to generalize, but but for the most part, you know, Black women are very spiritual. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what your experience was like in terms of, like, faith communities, et cetera, there. I know you know, you and I both identify as Christians, but I'm just saying in, in general, what were your experiences like with the faith communities? Yeah, I would say that like the capitalistic version of the church that exists in the U.S. doesn't exist a lot in other places with the exception of like, you know, in Australia, there's Hillsong everywhere. Uh, well, not even everywhere. Honestly, when I was there, I didn't see a billboard at all. Like I met people, I was like, hey, have you been to Hillsong? Like one of my coworkers from Australia, she's like, never heard of it. I'm like, what? Like, you never heard of the Hillsong from Australia? Um, and they're like, yeah, no. So I have found a deeper relationship with God just from, from like doing kind of the things that, um, back to the basics are like reading my Bible, journaling, praying nature for me has been everything for me. So especially cause I live in Muslim countries sometimes, um, as well, but like nature never fails the, um, the greatness of God, right? Like to see the sunrise and the sunset, to see the stars, to see like being on ocean and seeing the waves, that's his power, right? Like, I don't need a church. I don't need a pastor to like, tell me about who God is when I'm seeing all of these things, like the cycle of the moon. Like I remember being in a, um, like a village and they were like, yeah, no, no, we don't, we don't track our periods from a calendar because the moon does that. Like it's 28 days. Like that's exactly the same cycle as us. And you're like, how have we taken the, like the actual nuance, the detail that God gave us with the moon and remove that and use an app and then say like, oh yeah, God's not in that. Like, no, no, no. He's in all of the nature, all of his creation speaks to his, like speaks to his greatness. And so I have found so much coolness in just like nature, the sun, the, the colors and like 
just the details, like the birds and the animals and, and those sorts of things have been really interesting for me to follow um, because that's how people like learned about God is through his creation. We're part of his creation, but we're not it. And so um, I have found that like the capitalistic version of the church that we have that has like really big churches and lots of pastors that doesn't really exist as much. Um, people are just living out their faith by living out their life faithful life. So it's been a, a difference for me. Um, and so it was interesting when people were like, COVID, I can't go to church. I'm like, yeah, I haven't been to church since I got a job, really, because like the first country I was in was China. And they did have a church um, that was close by, but, you know, it was very small. It was like they met, they like read the word and then they did communion and like they chit chat and then they left and they prayed and, you know, kind of like the basics. Um, and then I was in Oman, which is Muslim. So again, it was just like one of those things that I had to learn. And so I think it's really cool that COVID's happening and people are getting back to like who God is versus like the presentation of this, like other thing, like getting back to looking at how God already presented himself. So, yeah. No, I agree. I, I will say I, I love my church's streaming service. Mm-hmm. But I always feel the most connected to God out in nature, as you mentioned, and just, you know, I've been doing walks, 5Ks, usually Monday through Friday. And even whenever I go to the beach, like, it's really important to me to be able to, like you said, spend some time with with God, just walking and looking at the waves, hearing them crash, like that is all his glory. And so even today on my walk, it might sound a little corny but even today on my walk like literally I felt like the Lord was like just just like look up at the trees for a moment like take in my creation you know so I um I absolutely agree with that and I think it's really beautiful how you found your own way to stay connected to our God because as you mentioned he is everywhere and I do think that you know church has has a place as well but I do love that we are getting back to having church, you know, with your family, right. Or, um, or again, like myself living alone, just knowing, understanding that, you know, my, my house is the sanctuary, right. And really the sanctuary is everywhere that we are. Right. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, now this one, I, I'm not sure if, if you consider this a hard question or an easy question, but wanted to find out what are your top five favorite cities or nations and why? Okay, well, this is very difficult, but I can go in order. Overall, Dakar in Senegal, love the place, love the location, love the people, love the food, love the culture and like the they have this whole thing about hospitality and you feel it amazing place I had the most fun was Nigeria tons of fun went with my friend it was I mean Nigerians just have a lot of fun like I was wondering there was a time we went to this place um called Echo and um like right it's in Lagos and it's like on Victoria Island and the like I was on vacation. So this happy hour went till 5 a.m. and people were going to work the next day. Uh, I don't, and then when it ended, people were still outside eating suya and jollof and plants. It was, it was incredible.
incredible to me. Um, so let's see. I would say the place for the most adventure is New Zealand. It's a beautiful place. I would totally live there. Um, the people that are from like the Pacific Islands that live there uh, are look like us and just a lot of culture. But the people of New Zealand are just great. And it's just a beautiful presentation of unchartered territory like there's only four million people that live there so it's just pretty cool um i would say let's see hmm other category top favorite cities where else where else where else oh a cool place with lots of um history i would say would be just across west africa like Ghana. you can go see like the beginning of could potentially have been the end with um, the slave trade. So that was really interesting. Um, really enjoyed Colombia. I love Colombian food, Colombian people, culture in South America. I, because of Spanish as well, and there's a huge Afro-Colombian community, you kind of fit in. Salsa is huge there. And then Cuba. Cuba's another place. Had a great time. Stayed with this incredible um, Afro-Cuban guy who had an Airbnb, and to this day, we still keep in touch. So, yeah, I, I would, I mean, rapid top five. I mean, there's so many other places, like really good food. If you go to, like, Vietnam, there's really good food. Favorite Asian food is Korean food. So, yeah, I mean, I can go on, but mostly about topics. Like, I would go here for this and then, you know, kind of talk about it that way. Perfect. Well, let's actually jump into that because <laughs> that, oh, okay. that was going to be, yeah, no, this is good. That was going to be like my kind of last, uh, last question, which is rapid fire question. So best food, I think you, you answered already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next one is best biking trails and or outdoor activities. Mm, biking trails and outdoor activities. I would say outside the country, yeah. Yeah, okay. I would say Greece has some really cool trails. Yeah, I like I'm, I'm, I'm a cyclist, so you know that. <laughs> I, had to, yeah, I had to I would ask. say Greece. We, we did this okay. whole trip where we, like, kayaked, rappelled, and biked across, like, the coast of Greece, and that was pretty cool. Awesome. Best beach. Ooh, best beach. Ah, so many beaches. Mm, best beach. Um, let's go with outside of Durban, South Africa. Okay, and where do you feel is the most underrated place that you've been to? Senegal, hands down. Mm-hmm. Senegal, my favorite country in the world. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Pretty certain in that. Who had the best accommodations? Mm, best accommodations. Um, let's go with, ah, let's go with Morocco. Morocco, you can say in these Riyadhs. And they're basically like these old mansions that one family would have. And they all have like a pool in the middle and like, just like amazing food. Yeah. I'm going to go with Morocco, Riyadh. Like they're all incredible. So if you go to Morocco, stay in Riyadh, don't stay in a regular hotel. Say no more. (laughs) 
you had me sold when you said a mansion. So, yes. Beautiful. (laughs) Who has the best cityscape? Mm, It's between, outside the U.S., I'm going to say it's between Shanghai and I kind of felt Melbourne and in Australia was pretty nice. Okay. And then who has Dubai as well. Dubai has a really cool skyline. Okay. And then this is the, this is the last one. Uh, Who has the most beautiful landscape? New Zealand. Hands down. New Zealand has everything you want. And, And it's, like, um, it's just so beautiful. I don't even know how to explain it. And because it's so, there's so little people and it's so far away, nobody's going. Um, and they, when you go to New Zealand, like the amount of customs to get in, like they, you're not allowed to take anything and not dirt on your shoe, not any food, not anything, because it will literally destroy their ecosystem if it doesn't, if it's not compatible. So if there's a parasite that, seeps into an apple that you bring in that parasite reproduces itself. It can literally take away because it's so, it's almost like a kid who doesn't have a built up immune system, you know, like anybody sneezes on them, they're going to get sick. Um, and they might not recover from that sickness. And so that's kind of what it is, but it's just beautiful, um, beautiful place. So yeah, that's it. Love, love, love it. Well, thank you so much for, chatting with me about all of your amazing international experiences. Would you mind please telling uh, my listeners how they can connect with you, follow you? Sure. I'm on Instagram. It's probably the best way. Um, So you can do tiff underscore tastic. So T-I-F-F underscore T-A-S-T-I-C. Then the number one. So tiff underscore tastic one. On Instagram, you can DM me if you're going somewhere, if you're looking to be an expat or international foreign worker. Um, I can let you know groups on Facebook, but Instagram is the easiest way to connect with me. Awesome. Well, Tiff-tastic, Tiffany Green, (laughs) thank you for being a part of Brown Girl Radiance podcast and inspiring us all to collect a few more stamps on our passports. Yay, stamps. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Brown Girl Radiance Podcast, please share it with a friend so that we can continue to celebrate and shine together. Brown Girl Radiance Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. If you want to stay connected to Brown Girl Radiance Podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. You can feel free to email me at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast at gmail.com.